The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. It's Wednesday, June the 17th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Yesterday afternoon, the parliamentary parties of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Greens met, and they approved a programme for government which had been finalised between those three parties over the course of the weekend. So it now looks possible that almost six months after the general election, a new Taoiseach may be in place by the end of this month. Of course, that is only if those three parties vote in favour in ballots which are now getting underway. So we have an a lot to get through today, including discussing what is in the actual document and what's not in it, what we know about how it was put together, and what that tells us about the priorities of the parties. Plus, of course, whether it's going to actually be approved at all, in particular by the Green Party. We also want to discuss the latest Ipsos MRBI opinion poll published this morning by the Irish Times, so I really need to stop waffling on and get down to business. I am joined by Jennifer Bray, Fia Kelly and Pat Leahy from our political staff. Hello all. Hello. Good morning, Hugh. Pat, uh, this isn't the first programme for government that you've seen. There's already been quite a lot of criticism of its general vagueness and kicking to touch kind of quality. How does it compare on that front to previous programmes for government? I, I, I think when you look at specific targets for things like traditionally in the past, and these, this was also a part of our election campaigns uh, in the past, which usually translated into uh, programmes for government, there would always be pledges to hire you know, 2,000 extra teachers and 3,000 extra guards and 2,000 extra special needs assistants and etc., yeah, etc. That sort of thing is missing from this, but there is a good degree of specificity on some of the green targets, such as the, the famous 7% and how that's to be achieved. It's going to be enshrined in law and there will be carbon budgets set for, uh, uh, set for various sectors. So there is some degree of specificity in that, but in other respects uh, there isn't. And particularly on, I suppose, the economic underpinning of any programme for uh, for government. It's easy to see why that is. For a start, the, uh, the economic situation is simply so uncertain now that it is impossible for the government in June to set down targets for itself for public spending or deficit reduction or whatever it might be uh, next year. And um, we'll have to wait until the budget for that, assuming that the government does um, uh, does take office in uh, in a couple of weeks. But um, there is a, a high degree of vagueness about the economic stuff. And that, I would say, would be the thing that would worry um, the Greens and the other parties most when it comes to achieving the individual measures in the uh, in the program for government, so while there is a promise to spend three hundred and sixty million a year on walking and cycling infrastructure, uh, it's not clear what that money would a what that money would be spent on, but b and this is a, 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 a I suppose a bigger if uh, in a way whether that money will be uh, will be there. Now, there's no question that it has moved up the priority list of uh, of go- of uh, of the next uh, government, but um, but there is a high degree of uncertainty surrounding the economic underpinning of this programme. I don't think that could be otherwise, but uh, it doesn't make it any less true. Just in relation to Pat's point there about the transport elements, Fiac, uh, you know, the question about whether the money is going to be there. I mean, the money is sort of calculated, uh, as I understand it, as a percentage of the overall trans- uh, transport budget. So what you're talking about is a, a really a pretty significant shift in the proportion allocated to to cycling and walking, the, that which is the three hundred and sixty million, but also a two to one preference for public transport over over roads. Um, how does that stick? Let's say in the first twelve months of a government like this, where somebody wants a road to be completed or a new road which was due to be built somewhere in the west of Ireland, and the priorities are that or cycle lanes in Dublin. Yeah, I think the roads element will, will largely be protected. I was speaking to one Fine Gael negotiator yesterday. It said that yes, although that this was ambitious in terms of investment in public transport, in terms of cycling and walking, that it wouldn't come at the expense of road projects, specifically those in Project Ireland 2040. Taoiseach Leo Varadkar's, I suppose, flagship capital investment plan that was unveiled a couple of years ago. But it's worth kind of, you know, looking at what that capital outlay on transport means. Like the Greens had asked for a two to one split 
in favor of uh, investment in public transport over roads in the transport capital budget. But that two to one split becomes after they have got their 360 million on cycling and walking every year. So it's 20% of the capital budget that goes towards cycling and walking. And then of the remainder of the capital budget, it's split two to one in favor of public transport over roads. So that is a huge amount of money. And there are actually question marks whether you can, you can spend 360 million a year on cycling and walking infrastructure. A couple of TDs yesterday were saying they were immediately getting on to their county managers to put in for bids for greenways and cycleways. Someone told me from the southeast up to Larne nearly was an idea that was knocking around yesterday. It's, a que- it's questionable whether that can be spent, but the ambition is there. I think the reason that they went for these type of projects, the Greens, rather than the big you know, Metrolink is in train. There are the Project Ireland talks about Lewis's uh, different Lewis lines. It talks about bus connects in different cities. The reason they went for this type of infrastructure rather than say like resurrecting the Dart Underground is they want tangible, quick wins, relatively quick wins that will take a couple of years rather than a decade or fifteen years in terms of huge capital investment projects. Also, what the Greens looked for, which probably gets lost in the whole mist of this is that they were specifically looking for rural transport links. So the local link bus service, which is a a bus service for small towns around rural Ireland, they sought to have the funding for that tripled to make sure they couldn't be accused of being urbanites who are only interested in cycling and walking around the capital city and other cities. So that is another thing that they've got in there. So I think the Greens, in, in looking for what they specifically wanted in the program for government were conscious of the fact that they need to balance the urban and the rural. I think that's reflected in the transport stuff as well. I, I don't harp on too much about transport, but it is an important part of it, Jen. And you were looking a little bit at that policy in, in today's Irish Times. And, you know, um, Fiek was saying that the you know the main roads in Leo Varadkar's project 2040 will still go ahead. But I, I'm not quite sure how they can if road building now is only, by my rough, bad mathematics, only about 22% of overall expenditure on traffic. That means a lot of roads that were planned to be built ain't going to get built. Yeah, you would imagine so. And I guess this comes back to the idea of, you know, the the lack of, I suppose, detail in relation to that Pat mentioned earlier on uh, in certain areas. And this I, this, I think, will be one of them. I think it was obviously always going to be a real bone of contention between the parties that the second last weekend before uh, the, the deal was struck, there was a real pessimism in the Greens that they were going to be able to force a change in this area. And, and one of the Greens said to me, uh, Fine Gael are going to get their way with the roads. They're going to get all the roads that they want and they're not backing down. So I think actually when we saw the, the, the detail of the deal that they had secured on transport, it is quite significant. So I think there was a lot of give there from Fine Gael's perspective. And there is this idea that, well, actually, um, the, the roads that are already in train, that there's already contractual obligations in relation to that those will go ahead um, I suppose it may, might be the new roads, and uh, maybe the ones that you refer to that would be a little bit more up in the air. There was a there was a fear at the Finnegale Parliamentary Party, not last night's Parliamentary Party party meeting, but the week before that, that the program for good program for government wouldn't specifically list out certain roads projects, and there is going to be a review of the capital investment plan in in light of the kind of accelerated climate change targets. And what that review kicks up will be keenly watched by people in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael on the backbenches to see if their specific roads projects are included. But there was a fear that this document wouldn't specifically name individual projects, that that would leave some projects open to being dropped. So I think that review, when it happens in the coming months, will be key for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael TDs to hold on to what they see as kind of cherished road, road project, projects in their own areas. And is that is that potentially a Trojan horse, Pat? You know, I mean, Felix mentions a review. I think there's something like seventy reviews are mentioned in the course of the document as a whole. From the point of view, let's say of the of the Greens, does that mean perhaps it, you know, it's going to go into Never Neverland? Not necessarily. Um, there there is as um as as lots of people have been pointing out a whole load of you know reviews and uh, other examinations of difficult uh, policy decisions. That will be made over the course of the um, over the course of the government. That's that's not unusual, to be honest. There's perhaps more of them in this than previously, but never before have parties with such diametrically opposed have cultural hinterlands come together in uh, in a government. And reviews in the program for government are a way of 
avoiding having the row before you form that government and agreeing to have the row or to try and work around the row over the course of the government. But make no mistake, there will be rows on this, there will be rows on lots of things, but there will be rows specifically about roads because uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael backbenchers in particular um, are very attached to road to promises of local roads uh, projects, not just because of the improvements in in transport uh, facility that they bring locally but because of the employment that uh, that they provide and um, the greens if they had their way would build almost no roads now there's over in the national development plan there's all there's over 50 roads i think it's 53 roads projects that are due to be um uh completed or begun over the next five years and um, a lot of those i think won't now happen what will happen is that the ones that are already begun in in which and i think jen mentioned this that there are contractual obligations in place and those will uh those will progress so things like the n20 between cork and limerick i find it difficult to see that um uh being uh being cancelled but lots of other projects, particularly those that are due to commence in the latter stages of this government, they are they are under threat, and every one of them will be uh, the source of a row in this uh, in this government if it takes office. Mm, I want to turn to the subject of biogenic methane. It's a substance we're quite familiar with on this podcast from time to time. Uh, um, the exhalations of the of the national herd have been a, have been a subject of some debate, including including in this podcast. We had an interesting uh, episode uh, a few weeks back where we looked at this question of the contribution of agriculture to carbon emissions and that if we are, the argument was made um, pretty coherently and strongly, I think it's fair to say, that if we are to achieve this 7% target, that there has to be a contribution from agriculture, otherwise it becomes completely unrealistic. I read the passages about biogenic methane there, Fiac, and um, I didn't quite understand what they were proposing or if they were proposing anything at all. And then the program for government is a resounding success because neither does anybody else, and it is what you want it to be, I think, you know. So uh, I think that's entirely deliberate, you, because the Greens last week, when I suppose a formulation of policy that would get them to 6.3, 6.4% was put across the table. They rejected that. They wanted a greater push in biogenic methane. They felt they got it. But the language in the document, I, 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 someone actually read it down the phone to me on Sunday and I had the exact same reaction you did. I said, what the hell does that mean? They said, well, you know, we don't quite know, but this is what it is. So it says, the special economic and social role of agriculture and the distinct characteristics of biogenic methane, as described by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, will be fully recognised in, uh, in plans to achieve these targets. Again, speaking to someone in Fine Gael yesterday, and I'll speak to people in Fianna Fáil, I was asking, well, well, does this mean that, you know, that emissions from cows, more or less, will be taken out of the 7%? They said, well, no, not really. Um, it'll, it'll, it'll contribute to it, but it's separate. It's different. It's acknowledgement. It's different. So it's not quite clear at all what that actually says. It's a classic fudge in this document to get the Greens to buy in, but also to say to the rural base of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, you are a special case. Don't worry, we're not going to go killing cows in the morning. Um, Jen, you also wrote about you know the economic you know elements of this, and um, as Pat has already pointed out, you know they are you know very vague. There aren't even those kind of some of those number commitments about hiring figures in the public service or the health service that we've had in in previous programs or governments. And in a way, COVID nineteen gives cover for that, um, and therefore there there wasn't as much pressure as usual. But if I had been living in a cave for the last six months, in fact, I have actually been living in a cave for the last six months, but if I'd really been living in a cave with no Wi-Fi for the last six months and I didn't know the result of the election and I came out and the blindfold was taken off and I was presented with this document, I'd say this seems to be a green document with the Irish centre parties because there isn't, you know, there aren't any bold, radical moves. There's some of the stuff we've been familiar with from previous programmes for government about there will be moves towards slauncher care. Um, there is, I suppose, a shift somewhat to the left from the previous government in terms of the approach to housing and the land development agency. But really, it's a centrist. It's a centrist uh, document with green tinges. Yeah, I think it's it's a green specific document with a lot of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil generalities in there, because you know you, you, the most detail you see is in areas that we've discussed, such as uh, transport and such, such as climate change, or even in terms of the the massive retrofitting program that they have for for five hundred thousand houses. So that's where you see the figures, and then when you get into the areas <laughs> like the uh, economy, that's when you see 
the vague details. And I think Fine Gael would have been the party that sort of trumpeted this part of the programme for government as being where they got to put their stamp. So the Taoiseach Leo Varagher, outgoing Taoiseach Leo Varagher, said many times that it was uh, a part of kind of Fine Gael's policy and identity that there wouldn't be, that basically core welfare rates be protected, but mainly that there'd be no increases in, in income tax or the USC rate. So you can see that in the government document here. Uh, and, and it also talks about um, equalising the, uh, so there's a 3% USC surcharge, which is which is put on self-employed income. And they say that that's unfair and there'll be proposals to consider that. But again, no specific details. And um, they talk about the home carer tax credit um, and they're going to increase that. But again, they don't say to how much. Uh, and that obviously would, would benefit, I suppose, stay-at-home parents. And, you know, obviously the question is, where are they going to get the money to do all of these things that they have in the programme for government and ensure that there's no increase to uh, income tax or USC rates? And, and in the document, they talk about uh, what they what they term as negative externalities. So really, I think what they're talking about is a, they're talking about the carbon tax there. They're talking about a sugar tax. They're talking about plastics. Uh, and we know that the carbon tax was another bone of contention that will rise to 100 euro per tonne by by 2030. So, yeah, I mean, like I think it's one of those areas of the document, which is kind of, I suppose the term punter friendly probably isn't the best one, but it's the one that springs to mind. And the same for the pension age, which I think was only sort of agreed between two parties in, in, in the closing hours of um, the deal. So we know that both Fine Fall and Fine Gael um, agreed uh, that to defer the increase in the pension age um, to to sixty seven uh, to sixty seven for a year at least. So that's another thing that's quite sort of punter friendly. Another one that sprung to mind that was kind of vague generally, but would you know win over maybe the party membership was childcare. So the new government says they'll set a cap on the childcare fees that parents have to pay regardless of their income, and there'll be a report, one of many reports and commissions and quangos and whatnot, which will look at the the legal and economic ramifications of. Of such a move. So those things to me kind of feed into each other as things that can win over the party membership and parties can point to us saying, well, we put our stamp here. Yes, we don't have the world of detail yet, but we don't know the full implications of, of COVID and we'll deal with all that uh, in the budget and, uh, and so be it. So, I mean, things like the sugar and the plastic tax, which in the absence of increases in income tax or other tax increases, which I think is the, the, the major Fine Gael imprint on this document, Pat, is that there, there's a commitment not to increase USC or, or, or PAYE or income tax. Um, Cliff Taylor in today's Irish Times points out that whatever the merits of plaster and plastic tax and sugar tax, they're not going to deliver a huge amount of money um, to the economy to pay for these things. No, uh, no, they won't. And even the the carbon tax, which is due to go up, um, the revenues from that will be, um, well, not in the main going to the general fund. It's not going to raise that much money. Anyway, um, there is, you know, some revenue will be raised, the local property tax. So people who are outside the web of that will be brought uh, brought into it. But these are pretty much marginal in terms of, um, in terms of raising the sort of, billions of euros that would be necessary to fund many of the spending pledges in this document. Now, in a way, like a lot of Irish governments, the um, the economic and fiscal policy is, is along the lines of, well, if things, uh, as long as things continue to be all right, then things will be all right. That is to say, if economic growth returns at a pretty spanking pace next year, along the lines of some of the forecasts and if corporation tax continues to flood into the exchequer in the way that it has done in recent years, then there won't be a necessity for uh, for revenue raising or expenditure, uh, expenditure reductions. But if those things don't happen, or if there is, uh, that is to say, if economic growth doesn't return, or there is a fall off in corporation tax, uh, receipts, or there is a deterioration in the external economic circumstances to the extent that it hits Ireland's ability to borrow at the sort of rock bottom interest rates that it's doing so uh, at at the moment. Then this government will, or the next government, if 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 it takes office, um, will be in a great deal of trouble to meet its expenditures, uh, its expenditure commitments 
with the revenues uh, that it ha has at its disposal. Now, there's a number of reasons to think that the external circumstances won't deteriorate um, sharply. There's a much different regime in place at the European Central Bank than there was uh, the last time uh, the state was uh, was running out of money. And there's no sign that that is going to change uh, in the short term. But these are things over which we have no control and the next government will have no control. And to that extent, it's all a bit of a it's all a bit of a tightrope because if push comes to shove and if, you know, if 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 ill fortune financial or otherwise uh, are, are in relation to to the second wave of the pandemic besets this government, the next government, um, then they're going to have to deal with it and make some very difficult decisions as some of their predecessors have uh, have had to do. And I suspect that that would tear this government apart. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that it's it's particularly difficult to see into the future, even 12 months or 18 months ahead at the moment, even compared to previous governments that were starting off. Fiac, I wanted to ask you one thing. That, you know, there's a certain, amount, a certain amount of talk about government departments and sometimes the sh you know the, the the shape the tendency of a government can be indicated by the kind of shuffling around of the various responsibilities that takes place when you move from from one government to another and we know there's going to be a um i think a, a 663 split between the three parties in terms of the number of of senior ministries but um there was some indication that the, the Department of Children might be might be rolled back into the Department of Education. There was some talk, uh, which from a selfish point of view, I found quite interesting about a new kind of combined um, responsibility for for media in all senses, newspapers and broadcasting and uh, the Internet brought under one roof. Do we have any sense of that at all? That, there, you know, there, will there be a, a Department of Climate Change in addition to the Department of Environment? Any of that kind of thing? We there are a couple of straws in the wind like that document as you say mentions that there will be a configuration a reconfiguration of government departments i don't think the abolition of the department of children is actually going to go ahead i think if there's a department for the chopping block it's probably the department of rural affairs which is michael ring's department we're going to have a department of higher education because Michal martin has made a commitment on that that will happen the there will be a rejig of climate change so you may see a department of transport planning and climate change which will go to Eamon ryan you would then see housing just i suppose elements of housing would go to that department planning uh would go to that department there's i suppose in that situation maybe communications could be combined with culture for the green party finance and deeper will stay as they are obviously teachers will stay as, as it is Education obviously will lose some to higher education. There will be a reconfiguration of where they go. And then it's about the balance of the parties. So not only is it 663, but it's the balance primarily between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael of the more powerful departments each gets. So if there'd have to be a balance at the top of government. So Michal Martin is Taoiseach, you'd assume Fine Gael will get finance. Fianna Fáil will get deeper to balance that out. Leo Varadkar will be Minister for Jobs. Then you're looking at the, the big public sector departments, who gets education, who gets health, who gets housing. Perhaps the feeling that given Fianna Gael's record in health and housing was one of the main issues in the election, that Fianna Fáil would take over health and housing, would Fianna Gael then get justice? Those are the debates to be had, but there will be a reconfiguration of the, of the departments. And the only one you could, there are a couple of ones you could probably safely say will happen now. Like, you know, Michal Martin Taoiseach, uh, Patrick Dunne, who finance Michael McGrath, Deeper, and then Eamon Ryan, a new Department of Transport, Planning and Climate Change. The rest, you kind of fill in the gaps and, and see where it goes. But one thing actually someone said to me yesterday, and the interesting thing about the Programme for Government was, what was a second document was include, included in the end as an additional chapter about quite detailed on how this government will work, down to commitments, which, you know, I'm sure everybody who read it kind of raised an eyebrow, like, we will not brief the media on things unless we get the all clear from our government partners. We will not make public pronouncements that will put pressure on our government partners. Like, I was reading that, going, yeah. When, when will that, that noise was from Pat Lee. Yeah. When, when will that fall, you know, on this new central central committee that will run, sorry, not, not that makes it like a Politburo, a new committee of the three-party leaders with that will meet every week before cabinet and actually clearing it. It, there was a kind of document floating around in Fianna Fáil circles of 
when the New Zealand coalition of Jacinda Ardern took office, which is very delamode amongst uh, the, the politicos in Ireland at the moment, because the, the kind of New Zealand refrain comes through this document in terms of the missions, even this kind of how the government will work document is a reflection of that. But uh, that was interesting because one of the ministers said to me yesterday, they said, look, Michael Noonan said something to us all when this Fine Gael independent government took office that the policies are okay, the programme for government is what it is, it's a policy argument. What will bring down a government is the personal relationships and how you manage them. And I think that's something that's stuck with people in Fine Gael in particular and people in Fianna Fáil because there's an acknowledgement in that element of the programme for government about the, the parties come from different cultural backgrounds and more or less not to antagonise each other. So I thought it was really interesting that they actually set those ground rules down in stone and published them because managing the personalities and the cultures of this coalition are probably going to be as difficult, if not more difficult, a task than getting the policies in the program government that's implemented. Of course, if there is uh, a coalition government and it still needs to pass the three, par- the, the, Sorry, the if there three is. parties. Um, Jen, the big question is, can I just say, it's definitely pa- Fine Gael will definitely pass it, Fianna Fáil will certainly pass it, but perhaps with a little bit more aggro around the edges. And the question really comes down to the Green Party and can it get to 67%. I think when people talk about the, the party membership and the votes, there's always a sort of, well, yeah, Fianna Fáil, yeah, Fianna Gael. And then everyone goes, oh, two thirds of the Greens. It's the, the two thirds rule that could be the undoing of the entire thing, really, isn't it? Um, and I think that um, if you look at our poll today, you could see that that I suppose half of the almost half of the, the Green Party supporters would back a deal. But you don't you, you need three quarter. You don't need half like it's half is not enough. So um, really, that's where the focus will move to. This is where all the fun will be. This is the next task for for all of us to try and, and get under the bonnet of what's happening in the parties. Now, you know, you have seen kind of organised campaigns uh, starting in, in Fianna Fáil. They kind of emerged yesterday pretty soon. Uh, actually, around the time that the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party met, Michal Martin seemed quite unfazed by it. He, he was in the convention centre for a meeting of the PP and he came down the stairs, looked delighted with himself and, you know, he was asked about this and he said, well, what I've heard from party members is really actually quite encouraging and you'd imagine and there has been quite an extensive process, I suppose, of reaching out to the party membership throughout this so that they don't come to a situation whereby this is turned down, where all this work is sort of undone by the Fianna Fáil members. I do think that the question is around the Greens. Um, But having said that, um, Catherine Martin uh, has backed the deal. We saw that. Even her husband didn't. He abstained, I think. So um, I think that was a a big moment. I think if she's backing the deal uh, and Eamon Ryan's backing the deal, that should help some of the ways to to getting those Green members uh, on board. There was an interesting tweet last night, if I might digress for a minute from I did a piece the weekend about the different groups in the Greens the young Greens kind of slightly causing a bit of worry amongst older Greens about the fact that they're quite active online they're more aggressive online than maybe the Greens are used to and there was a tweet last night from a guy called Harry McEvan Sonia who is the secretary of the Green Party's policy council kind of NASA Hurricane runs the policy council but she's obviously been occupied at the negotiating teams And he said, well, I believe our negotiation team gave it their all and got the best deal they could. They were up against a pack of absolute bastards in Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, and it shows. The programme for government is grossly inadequate, and I urge Green Party members to vote it down. So I was talking to an older Green last night, and we were referencing this this tweet, and and this older Green said, yeah, that is kind of typical of the new, younger, Bernie bro, momentum-type Green that we may see flourish in this debate. So it'll be interesting to see if that kind of type of debate or that type of message strikes a chord with the Green membership, this more left-wing uh, Green, that you can see even Paul Murphy and Sinn Féin goading that faction of the Greens on Twitter last night about, you know, this seven years is an average, it'll happen in the last te- uh, five years, you know, how can you buy this? So the, 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 the kind of the, the, that element of the Greens, I think, is going to be one of the more interesting developments to watch in the next two weeks. Because the 66% is the thing, or 67% is the, is the thing, Pat. It's not the case that I got an interesting email from somebody who had voted Green in the last election um, last week, and they were saying, you know, there's all this focus on trying to figure out what the membership wants and who the membership are now and this new, younger, uh, larger membership that the party has. But what about the people who actually voted Green? And this uh, the, this listener described himself as a kind of, a, I suppose, a centre-left voter who had previously voted Labour, sort of liberal urban voter with concerns about the environment. Um I got the impression that what he was saying was he didn't 
hate the idea of going into coalition with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. But that tweet which um, Fiach cites is really the tweet of somebody who never wanted to, no matter what, and is, has always been set against. And the question is, can you get, you know, just a little bit over a quarter of the party to go along with that? Yeah, and I suppose today's poll sheds some light on um, what people who support the Green Party believe uh, about this. Um, but it doesn't shed any light, nor could it, on what the actual electorate in this instance, the the Green Party members think. And, you know, there's a couple of thousand of them. And as you say, Eamon Ryan needs 67% of them uh, to clear this deal. I thought, uh, it, I, th- I think it's significant that Catherine Ryan voted for it. I wonder how energetically she will campaign for it, though. It seemed to me that her statement was slightly equivocal. It certainly wasn't enthusiastically backing the deal, saying this is a good deal. We should uh, we should endorse it. And I will seek to persuade members of the party to uh, to back this deal. It 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 didn't say that. And there will undoubtedly be a very strong campaign, very vocal campaign, very energetic campaign uh, against uh, against it. Um, I suppose going back to the poll, what it uh, what, what what it says is, you know, there was uh, I think our headline on was nearly half of all green voters uh, back the deal. But if you probe a little more deeply into it, with our second question about the um, about what the green specifically on what the green party should do, there was about thirty percent of people said they should make the best deal they can and just get on with it. Another sixty percent said they should enter government if their key demands on climate action are met. Now, if you think that their key demands on climate action are enough of them are met in this uh, in this programme for government, then that gives you a whopping majority of 90% plus of green voters who think that they should go into government. So I think that the that latter question will be the crucial one here. What do people mean uh, uh, what what is people's view? What is Green members' view of this program for government? I think that's where the debate will be, not so much on whether Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael are the great Satans with whom uh, no right-thinking Green should ever do business. That will be the view of some parts of the Green Party, but I think that's probably pretty minimal. I think a much more important and the decisive debate will be uh, amongst Green Party members on the merits of this programme for government uh, are otherwise. And I think that's what will decide it. Is there any case at all to be made, Fiac, that um, like if, if I were a Green who was really not convinced of this 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 prospect of going into government for Unifall and Fine Gael, partly because they thought they might walk all over us and all these commitments are really quite vague and all these reviews do, will just go against us and who knows what way the economy will go, that if you put a tougher leader in charge, um, that if you had Catherine Martin representing that harder negotiating stance, that that might put you over the line in terms of voting for the deal when otherwise you wouldn't if you thought that Eamon Ryan was going to be doing that. I'm assuming that will be her pitch for the leadership position. Like the kind of mutterings in recent days when it it became clear that she was going to support the deal, although as Pat said, there, there is some equivocation in the statement. The mutterings from people close to her and people who had spoken to her was that she believed that there were things that she achieved in the negotiation process that perhaps others wouldn't. So she made a big deal of the uh, halting of the construction of the Shannon LNG facility. That was a big thing for her. And she let it be known that that was a big thing for her and pushed hard for it. So I think that is exactly what her pitch will be, that I pushed hard and I got things in this deal that nobody else would have. And if you want us to make sure that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil stick to this vote for me as leader. Like if you read the lines in her statement, you know, no member of the Green Party would wish to belong to a government that's not enthusiastically and realistic, realistically delivering a green agenda. It is vital to ensure that our party's independence and core values are never undermined or weakened by participation in government. Now, to me, that looks like something she will be saying when she runs for leader in the coming weeks, that I will be the one who puts it up to Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in this uh, in this government if it happens but someone pointed out to me that another line in the deal or in her statement you have to read it quite carefully 
read as if she was like, you know, tipping her cap to that wing of the party we've just spoken about who aren't, you know, sure about this, that it's not the perfect deal. There's a word in there, some, that is doing a lot of heavy lifting. I am, however, satisfied that the deal negotiated was the best achievable and that it includes some worthwhile and transformative policies. So it's not specifically saying, as Pat says, this is a great deal. I fought hard all the way for it and we got the best we could. So I think you're right. That will be her pitch for leader in the coming weeks. Pat, I know you need to go in a second. So I do want to ask you about the broader numbers in the in the poll, which we've which we've mentioned already. That's published in the Irish Times this morning. You're writing about it in today's paper. You point out the um, the elegant irony, I suppose I could put it, of the fact that Michal Martin, perhaps at his worst poll ratings nearly since he became leader of Fianna Fáil in the dark days of, of 2011, is poised to become Taoiseach. Leo Varadkar, with his best poll ratings, uh, probably in his career as, as leader of Fine Gael, certainly uh, will be about to vacate the seat. There is something kind of quite dramatic and neat about that, isn't there? <laughs> well... I suppose that depends on your perspective on it. But yeah, it, it is. It is, I suppose, one of the striking measures of it. Um, and, you know, I was getting lots of messages from people in Fine Gael last night, you know, wondering why exactly they were constructing a government that would see them cede a great deal of power at a time when they've never been higher in the polls. But I think most of them accept that this poll is taken at you know, uh, a very unusual time. It reflects what has gone past over the last couple of months and the broad public sense that the government has probably handled the coronavirus, uh, has handled the outbreak pretty well. Um, I mean, we could debate that statement at great length, but it does appear to be the view of most uh, of most voters and they give uh, the Taoiseach and the government credit for that. Worth pointing out, I think, that, that this sort of rally round the flag effect is visible everywhere. Leaders uh, all over Europe and beyond are seeing their uh, approval ratings go up. I suspect that if Michal Martin becomes Taoiseach, uh, in the coming weeks, he he will be the beneficiary of uh, at least some of that effect uh, as well. Um, so it's not to dismiss entirely uh, the findings of the poll, which are spectacular for Leo Varadkar and Fine Gael, but merely, I think, to put them in uh, in the broader context. It is still possible that um, that we do have an election, in which case these... Uh, poll numbers, I suppose, become much more immediately relevant. But elections tend to be about the future, as we've noted here lots of times before. And this approval rating for the Taoiseach and the government is about the past, albeit the immediate past, but it is about the past. And if you look back to February, people believed that the government had handled uh, Brexit extremely well. It was the issue that dominated Irish politics for the previous three years but it didn't save them in uh, in the general election. So when it comes to the immediate prospect of do these numbers, do they become immediately relevant during a general election? Um, not as much as people in Fine Gael might like to think they do. Yeah, I mean, the rally around the flag effect has been seen in, in many parts of the world, although not recently in the UK and certainly not in the United States, uh, Jen. But the thing that strikes me most is not necessarily the huge bump for Fine Gael and the Everardker. It's the appalling performance of Fianna Fáil and when you dig into some of the numbers that we have today, there are numbers in Dublin there are numbers among the young uh, both both have been problems of, for them of course for years but you know they're really into you go much lower than the kind of 10 or 11% which they're at among uh, among those groups right now and you're really into a, the kind of existential challenge which we thought they faced 10 years ago maybe they're facing it again. Yeah it is interesting when you when you drill into it I think the support for Fianna Fáil has has gone down um across all demographics and that's something I think that regardless of the um I suppose the circumstances on the outside the party figures will look in on that and probably be quite worried about it and I think quite notable as well was that that the support for the party has halved among 
the over 65s to 18%. And you know that Fianna Fáil made the, the pension age and the potential deferral uh, of that a very big issue, both uh, in the election campaign and in the programme for government negotiations. So I think they would look at those specific figures and and be, and be quite worried about it and, and see themselves in, in a poll situation where which probably has very strong echoes of, of uh, 2011. And that's not somewhere where they want to be after spending years and years of building up uh, grassroots support and of, of, of trying to rebuild the organisation. Um, now, I asked Michal Martin uh, after that doorstep I mentioned um, last night in the convention centre for his thoughts on the poll. And he said he's never been dictated by polls, His you know, and he also said that he sort of pointed out that the government is in a place right now where they've never enjoyed more sort of prominence. Uh, and he was basically saying that this is he, talking about the COVID scenario and saying that they, you know, they have uh, the ben not the benefit of that, but I suppose the benefit of the coverage uh, being focused on the country's response to the pandemic. Um, and, and like Pat said, I think there is a point there. But um, similarly, when you drill down into the details of the poll, there will be cause for concern. Um now, there's another aspect, I suppose, to this whole deal, which hasn't really come up yet and, and, and might over the coming week or two. And I suppose that's the role that the independents will play uh, in this potential coalition. Will they be, as Fiat has reported before, asked to support the government from the outside? Uh, and it has been suggested that if that's the case, then they may enjoy access to ministers. Now, I know that this is a massive issue, as particularly for Catherine Martin's supporters, who believe that uh, no green minister should have to facilitate access um, because of a deal from the outside. Um, so there's so many variables still still to play out. Um, and that one, I think, will be one which is worth particularly keeping an eye on over the, over the next while, um, though that's totally unrelated to your question about the poll. Oh, no, I always like that. That's fine. Um, Fiat, what do you think? I haven't given you the opportunity. What, what, what do you make of those numbers? Yeah, I think they are... I think it is a real problem for Fianna Fáil. And look, it is, there is an element of rally around the flag to it. But, you know, people, it, because they're in government now and they're going into government, Michal Martin is going to be teacher. That's not to say there aren't people in the party doing a lot of hard thinking about where the future of the party lays, what is its future, where does it go, where does it build its base, where does it seek to build support. Like, there are people who are seriously worried in the party about its future. And I, I think, you know, people in Fine Gael would look at these figures and when the poll was published last night, I was getting texts like from people saying, Jesus Christ, if we had awaited, you know, unsuccessful election candidates kind of going, oh my God, if, if, if this poll had been reflected now, I would have been elected. It, you know, he had ministers kind of, you know, goggle-eyed looking at the approval ratings of the government and Leo Varadkar at 75 and 72%. High is not seen since, for a government since Bertie Hearn got I think in the 80s after the Good Friday Agreement but there is a view uh, in Fianna Fáil they are going to have to really define themselves now what are they for what is their unique policy offering in this government like to pick a few subjects and really decide midway through the government this is what we have done and if Michal Martin is to step down as party leader in the middle of this government, in December 2022, as the document says, he will step down as Taoiseach. Does he step down as party leader? Where do they go from here? Who do they pick? What's their strategy for growing? Because Fine Gael, the, 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 those arguing for an election in Fine Gael in the last few months as these poll figures surged, use the argument that, look, in the centre, there is only space for one party now to be the dominant party of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. There's going to be Sinn Féin on the left with Social Democrats others. The other side of the doll is going to be a Fine Gael and a Fianna Fáil. Who is the larger? That is the battle now, even though they're in coalition together. There will be a battle between them to see who will be the dominant party. And people in Fine Gael who wanted an election thought this was the opportune time to really make themselves the dominant party in the centre. There are, however, people in the party who think that this government will give them the opportunity to do that anyway. That once they come out of this government with Leo Varadkar, and interestingly, Leo Varadkar's message to, to the party last night, his video message to the party last night, he said, I will be the Taoiseach leading this government into the next general election. They want to finish the job, as they see it, of becoming the dominant centre party in Irish politics at the next election. But people, senior people in the party last night, uh, I was talking to, when I asked, you know, you must have been tempted to go for an election in the last while, and they said, no, truthfully, no. They said, you know, voters are fickle. 
you know, we were looking at poll figures in last November that had us on 30 odd percent and then we got, you know, 22 or thereabouts in the general election. So they claim they weren't serious about going for an election, but that's not to say the medium term they have, as they would see it, finishing off Fianna Fáil on their sights. I do wonder about this, Jen. I mean, one of the reasons supposedly that Fianna Fáil underperformed and they definitely did underperform in February was that the polls showed and people voted accordingly that people didn't see much difference between themselves and Fine Gael because they had been supporting them with confidence and supply for the previous for the previous four years. Now they're going to be in government with them and Pat has left us, but he is an opinion piece in today's newspaper. You know, this is a very historic moment. Arguably, this is, in terms of Irish politics, this is the most significant thing that's happening is the final coming together in a single government of the two big beasts of Irish politics and nothing will ever be the same again. And what does nothing will ever be the same again mean? It means that they are more or less the same from now on. They are going to be on one side of the equation, as Fiek just described it there. Yeah, they're going to have to go out to bat for each other. They're going to have to defend each other in public. You know, they're going to be uh, potentially part of the same cabinet and they're going to have to find a way to, I don't know, I guess, put aside some of the grudges uh, that have uh, beset Irish politics for, for decades. And I think in the course of the election campaign and, and afterwards when the results became clear, this was the big fear in both parties. If we go in with the other... What happens to our identity? Do we just become consumed into the other party? And basically we can't have that. And still kind of some of that civil so civil war men- mentality. Um, and even at the Parliament, Fianna, uh, Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party meeting last night, John McGuinness, who a lot of people would have expected to kind of stand up and, and maybe have the strongest contribution against this deal, sort of held his fire a little bit. But the one thing he did say, which I thought was interesting, was that Fianna Fáil can't let itself, now I'm paraphrasing him, but Fianna Fáil can't let itself be subsumed into the identity or culture of Fine Gael and that the party maybe needs to be a little bit more left-leaning um, uh, in, in comparison to, to Fine Gael. So you will see this over the course of the next government if this deal passes. Will be The two parties will have to work together, defend each other. They're in the government and, and they'll have to, to do all that. But they'll also have to find a way, uh, and as Fiat says, to, to pick certain issues and and to make them their defining characteristics or their defining battles. Um, they tried to do it in the programme for government. You can see the stamp of Fine Gael in terms of taxes and stuff and you can see where Fianna Fáil had their input and particularly in housing, I think. But the extent to which they can separate each other um, at the end of the next government will remain to be seen. It will be absolutely fascinating to see how they how they manage those dynamics b- between them. Um, this idea that Fiat mentioned earlier of the, of the, the new committee where if there's any issues to be raised between the parties uh, the party leaders will talk about it there and nowhere else and no media leaks and like that's pie in the sky really like that's not going to happen I mean sure it'll happen for the first while but that kind of I don't know I think you and I both know that it's not really a, a runner and there will be sticky wickets there'll be hairy moments and it'll be so interesting to see how they get through how they get through that um and what they make their own defining characteristics i suppose over over the coming five years if indeed we get to to five years i mean <laughs> i have my doubts well indeed you know the only um the only revolving government position we've had previously was between two independent members of the last government and that collapsed you know and you might see something well, like yeah, that happen we, uh, we had a we had a but in fairness to them, there's a quite a detailed document here. It's, this isn't a coin toss like those two lads okay. had. You know, there's an actual date laid down as when the transition will happen. Okay, Thea, can I just ask you just the nitty gritty of then how how this all works now? Quite quickly, over the next ten days, there'll be we're in a we're in a remote world, so there'll be remote elections within the three parties. They all have slightly different systems. Presumably, it's postal ballots. Then they all need to be counted, and we're looking to have results what announced simultaneously on the afternoon of Friday week. Friday week, June twenty sixth. Yes, and the. The expectation is that if the deal is passed by the three parties, the doll will sit the following day in the convention centre, uh, Saturday, June 27th, to elect Michal Martin as Taoiseach, to elect the cabinet. And then you would quite rapidly move to appoint senators, uh, the Taoiseach's 11, and then, you know, deal with those legislative problems around the Defence Against the State Act and other issues. So what we're looking at is that the ballots will go out probably tomorrow, I think, to members. Fianna Fáil have the one member, one vote system, as do the Greens. You're looking at about 15,000 members of Fianna Fáil, maybe about 2,500 eligible voters in the Greens. We'll get final figures in those in the coming days. Fine Gael have their electoral college system. Again, postal ballot uh, to most of them. That gives the parliamentary party 50% of the voting strength, followed by 25% for constituency delegates, um, 15% for councillors and 10% for the executive council. So basically the parliamentary party 
is the decisive vote there, even if the councillors go against it, even if the members go against it. If they went against it massively, the councillors and the, 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 the members and the executive council, it could kind of colour the PP, but it's, it's probably doubtful. Um, we're going to have a Green Party video conference on Thursday uh, to debate this. I think we're expecting Catherine Martin to speak at that as well. It'll be interesting to see what you say. And then in a email to Fine Gael members late last night, the Taoiseach said there would be a number of Facebook Live regional events for members of Fine Gael to debate this as they vote. So that's where the action is going to be in the next day or two. I thought it was an interesting contribution from Robert Troy at the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party who said that implored his colleagues to go out and vote for this deal and said it was an opportunity for the PP to pr- prove their quality, which basically means some it's an opportunity for all of us to get away into cabinet if we get all our members to vote for this deal. And there's no concern about the logistics of this, is there? You know, it's a postal ballot. The ballots are only going out tomorrow. Tomorrow's Wednesday. They have to get back in order to be counted. Presumably Thursday of next week. They, they need a closing date to get them all in so they, they can announce the results on Friday afternoon. It's a tight turnaround. And I think Fianna Fáil were putting pressure on to get this deal wrapped up for that very reason, that they have a large membership that they need to get this out to and get it back to. So I think it is going to be very tight, but given the constraints in which they're operating, that this has to be done by more or less, not this weekend, next weekend. It'll have to be done one way or the other. And if on Friday week, Jen, the Greens say no, what happens then? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? And, you know, there was a suggestion that then the two parties would turn to the independents and seek to, I suppose, have them stack up a government. I think it seems to me that people in Fianna Fáil seemed a little bit more open to that idea where people in Fine Gael weren't. Perhaps that's because of their experience with independence uh, over the last term of the government, um, you know, uh, possibly. But it's like I mentioned earlier on, the, the issue of the independence and their role in the next government is still very much um, an open question. So I suppose if they can't or if they won't go down the road of independence, which is shaky, really, really shaky ground, you're talking about a lot of independence propping up a government and that changes the entire deal basically that changes the the entire context but then if they if they can't uh, go down that road then it's another election really and I don't know about you but I'd relish it <laughs> of course you would <laughs> interestingly interestingly the po- we polled which like we all knew that Finnegan were doing well in the polls they polled in the mid-30s in a series of polls in the last uh, couple of weeks obviously they were very high at 37 in our own poll this morning but an interesting answer to the choices facing the electorate, you know, 36% favoured a Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael Green coalition, 27% favoured a different governmental combination, 33% said they'd favour another election. Like that's quite a significant amount in a time of a global pandemic. So you wonder, you know, the, the, the probably default will be to go to independence, but you'd wonder, given the kind of view in Fine Gael that they're doing well, could Leo Varadkar sell a deal with independence, a kind of shaky deal with independence to his party when they're looking at poll figures having on 37% and 33% of the people saying they wouldn't mind the second election? Well, we'll all know what happened in, in about 10 days' time or so, so really not too long to wait for that. We'll leave that for today. Thanks very much indeed to Pat, who joined us earlier, also to Fiak and Jen. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. If you would like to support this podcast and the Irish Times, all you have to do is go to irishtimes.com slash subscribe, where you can sign up for the introductory price of €1 Euro for the first month. And if you do want to get in touch with us, we really are always delighted to hear from you. Just mail us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. But until the next time, thanks very much indeed for listening. 